Whoa! What's up, everybody? This is Connor Hallway, aka Big Bochi, and I'm thrilled to announce, man, we're officially in season five of the Golden Hours podcast. And I figured if I'd open up all the episodes like this, give everybody a little bit of a background on what the episode is, the 45 minutes to an hour of audio might be a little more digestible. With that being said, man, big love to everybody tuning in. We're going to keep applying pressure over here, one foot in front of the other, and we got some big changes that we'll announce soon. But this is the season of Dercules. That's not going to make any sense to you if you haven't seen the animation. So head over to at Golden Deer Productions, and you'll see, man, Derek the Deer. He's going through some changes. And the whole, we're theming the entire season Greek God-themed. Additionally... I'm happy to announce that this is the first episode of season five, Dave Wedge's Golden Hour. Real quick, Dave Wedge wrote Boston Strong, which was initially in a book, excuse me. He wrote Boston Strong, which was initially a book about the Boston bombings. He was the lead Herald reporter at the time, so he was actually there at the bombings, and he was there during the whole... Chase from MIT, all that stuff. So then he wrote a book. The book got sold to a big movie studio. And then Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg created the movie along with their studio, Patriot's Day. So we talked a lot about the movie, some of the business behind it, some of his experience with the Boston bombing. And I straight up asked him, I said, hey man, what's it going to take for Boston's entertainment market to kind of rival in New York or LA and he straight up said dude that's not happening which I thought was pretty interesting and definitely a refreshing perspective but other than that man he's a great dude he's an absolute hustler and uh, I learned a lot about him about persistence and just keeping things going so I hope you guys enjoy send me a DM if you tune in I'm gonna get better at these cold openers and I'm gonna get better at talking to myself while I'm alone in my house other than that, ma'am, season five. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. We'd be standing in front of a house, and then all of a sudden, they'd, like, the National Guard would come running towards us, like 40 guys. And they'd be like, get back, get down, down, down. Pretty much, yeah, and they would shove us away. They'd push us back a block. And then they would go in and raid the house we were just in front of with like guns, dogs, so, everything. Yeah, so they, like, they didn't go into my dad's house, but they patrolled the street in Cambridge and they went up and down yeah. the block. Mount Auburn was like where it was going down. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So you got there after the one of the brothers was already dead though, Yeah, right? I got, yeah, I got there. So you were there during yeah, the search. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm author journalist Dave Wedge and this is my golden hour. Oh, oh God, what's going on? Where am I going? Oh. Dad? Yes, my son. I am Deuce, the Deer God. I'm so confused. Who am I? Derek. Your true name is Dercules. Dercules. Wait, what? Yes. You are Dercules, the god of the forest. <laughs> Season 5. Hosted by your favorite podcast host, Big Bochi. You already know the deal, mother. What's up? <laughs> the double clap signifies the start of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I'm very persistent, but I had met 
this man to my right, if you're listening, he's to my right. If you're viewing, he's to my right. A couple months back, and I just kept slamming the lines. I got to get this guy up. I got to get this guy up. I appreciate the persistence, man. Well, thank you for coming, man. Yeah, happy to do it. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this is, do you want me to, for the episode, call you David or Dave? I use Dave. My father's name is, is David. My mother always got mad. My mother said I named you David, but my name's Dave. Like everyone growing up called you Dave. Yeah, and that's my byline. It's always been Dave. So my mother got kind of. It's a little more Hollywood, man. You've changed ever since the big Hollywood Dave, man. You know. I like that Hollywood (laughs) Dave. So Dave, when I was, I do research anytime I have a professional come up because I want to make sure I sound professional. But there was so much stuff to research, man. I didn't even know where to start. Uh, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> well, you're, well, you're storied. I, I like to say seasoned. 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 But your career has just like shifted in the past like two years. I've done a lot, man. I've been lucky. I've had I've had a lot of cool gigs, and I've done a lot of cool stuff, you know? And so before we move on, do you kind of just want to give, give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm Dave Wedge, and I'm uh, I, currently I'm an author and a producer. Um, I've written uh, three books with my co-author Casey Sherman. Uh, we did Boston Strong after the marathon bombings happened, which was um, turned into the movie Patriots Day with Mark Wahlberg. Everyone knows Mark Wahlberg. Everyone knows Mark. Everyone says is Mark cool, and the answer is yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. He's, he's the man. He's a good dude. Um, and then. I did a book called Ice Bucket Challenge about another cool guy, Pete Frades, mm-hmm. which was um, wild. One of the most amazing stories I can imagine. Well, you're so, a BC guy, right? BC, yeah. So that that that. So after we did Patriots Day, the family, the Frades family, was looking to do a book. You know, and they've been kind of talking to authors and stuff, and they they had talked to a bunch of people that they didn't end up going with, and they invited me and Casey up to their house, and we went up and met them, and um. What happened was they, you know, right when I walked in, there was an instant connection because of that whole BC thing. Like, I, I didn't really know a lot about the family before I went there because we were still in the middle of Patriots Day. So I was like, you know, kind of too busy to really check it out. But I was like, yeah, let's go meet them and see what the deal is. And they were awesome. And we had like a pretty cool connection there. And everyone in that family went to BC ex- except for Andrew. And he's like the so black I'm, sheep. I'm like everyone makes fun of him because of that. Where did Andrew go? <laughs> he went to Bentley. Which Oof. is another great school, but it's funny. So my sister went. My dad went to Bentley, so that's what we were talking about. I was like, well, there's still connections. So. Is he big in business, your, your dad? He's an accountant. Oh, yeah. yeah he's an accountant. My yeah. sister's totally yeah. corporate. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the black sheep, but I went to PC, so I'm like your little brother. I, I almost went to PC. That was my second choice. So. But you were smarter. Well, <laughs> I, I got to BC. We'll just leave it at that. And s- but no, so that, then we did, uh, then we did last summer, we did the Tom Brady book. We did, it's called 12. And it's basically like the story of Deflategate and kind of that whole courtroom drama and how that whole thing unfolded. And in the middle of all that, you know, we've been, um, you know, involved in, in a variety of different projects in different stages of development. Like, you know, the Pete Frady's book was optioned uh, by Netflix and we're working with Casey okay. Affleck. Okay, big business. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're working with Casey Affleck on that. Um, he's going to be a producer on My it. My favorite actor so. ever, man. He's great. He, and we, we spent some time with him up with the Frady's family. He's an awesome guy. And, you know, we're hoping that thing will get shooting this year. But, you know, it's it's these things take time, you know? Yeah, so that's, that's one thing I'm <clears throat> learning about kind of the film industry is just like the, the inception of an idea to the actual final product 
like very minimally will at least take five years most times. Ch- but I feel like Ch- you turn around the Boston Strong thing quick because it was like a cap. It was an opportunistic moment. Yeah, that was a very unique project because so my co-author Casey wrote the Finest Hours, which was the Disney movie with Casey Affleck and Chris Pine, and um, it's about a Coast Guard rescue down in Cape mm-hmm. Cod. Di- you know, Disney did the movie, but Casey wrote that book like twelve years ago, and the book got optioned like. Two this is, years this after is Casey Sherman. Casey Sherman, yeah. yeah. And it got, you know, the, the book got optioned like two years after he wrote it. And then it sat in development for like years, you know, five, six years. And then Are finally, they just waiting got made. for the money to produce it it's, usually? Or? It's, it's, it depends. I mean, every situation's different. A lot of times, what I'm finding is it's scheduling with like the directors and the actors. Like an actor will get really psyched about a story and they're into it and they're going to do it and they're like all right let's start shooting this date and then all of a sudden they're like oh no actually we want you to be in the new aquaman and the dude's like yeah peace he's aquaman (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's just it just happens and you know people come on and off projects and and you know to your point you just got to be persistent you know you just gotta like a lot of what i do every day is talking to my agents i talk to my agents like three times a week at least if not seven and so so you're technically a writer so I'm, I'm a writer and a producer so I'm, I'm writing i'm writing books we actually just got hired to write a screenplay let's go we're, we're adapting a um a novel from uh, we're adapting a novel into a screenplay it's like a pretty dark like uh story of domestic violence and this sort of stuff and this company you really are from around here i am yeah. <laughs> you like all the grittiest stuff this, man. well that's why they came to us you know this this company uh they're called straight up films and they made a, a, an amazing movie that's actually my favorite movie ever if you haven't seen it outside providence you ever seen outside providence a fairly brothers classic it is it's, it's pc that's right yeah so it's it's peter's life story pretty much and Bobby's actually, I've become a little friendly with Bobby over the years, and I always talk to him about that movie. Like, I'm obsessed with that movie. It's just, it has so much soul. You know what I mean? So, so you want to do that in Boston? I do want, I I mean, I have a dream to make a movie like that someday, you know, not like that, but inspired by that. But, you know, so this this project here, um, the company that made that, that was one of two of the women that were involved in making Outside Providence have their own company now. And they reached out to us because we're like doing boston stories and i was gonna say is that totally integral to you from being around here like i want kind of want to be the guy to document a lot of these stories i mean that's how it started now i don't care where the story is like you know i'll do any i'll i just want a good story but in a check i well <laughs> who does it? I, you want to get paid to work yeah. you know but i really i just i just want to do great stuff like i i don't you know I'm not going to do a Boston story if it's just okay, just because it's a Boston story. Like, I want great stories. Like, and we've been lucky. You know, Ice Bucket Challenge is a great story. You know, and, and Deflategate's a bananas story. Well, you know? can I, I, I think we talked about this briefly, but dude, can we just make that Aaron Hernandez movie, man? <laughs> that is going to be right? so wild. It's, it'd be one of the filthiest movies you've ever seen. Oh, in my life. God. Who are we casting as the, the head star for that one? <sighs> I, that's the problem. Who wants to play that guy? Well, who you wanted know? to play the terrorists? Yeah, I mean, you'd have they to. They did find... a really good job, though. Yeah, they did. You know, that was that was a conversation we had a lot during that movie. Like, who the hell is going to want to play these two dudes? You know, and they ended up the kid who played Joker was amazing. That kid was a really good actor. Yeah. So when when they were casting for that part, I know you were probably a little less in creative control at that point. Mm. But how do they find somebody who both looks like the person and they think can deliver the message? Like that Some, must be so tough. You know, the casting agents. You know those those Hollywood casting. Shout agents. out to Angela Perry. 
Yeah, we're gonna and, get you up here, Ange. People like Angela, you know, but you know, in Hollywood, and and you know, I think with that story in particular, I do happen to know. You know, we weren't, you know, we we were just consultants. We wrote the story, you know, we wrote the book, and then they optioned it, and but they did let us be consultants. We were in a lot of meetings, so I I, I did get a lot of insight into how it's done, and um, I know with those two characters in particular, Tamalin and Jokar. That a lot of just random people that weren't even actors submitted because they looked like them, and they're like, "I can play that guy." Like they would just want to be actors, and a lot of them were dead ringers. Like they looked like them, and they had a very specific look. Those two dudes, you know, for so, sure, and they looked very different. Yeah, like not not, one- not to sound totally insensitive, but one of them looked much more Arabic, and one of them looked much more <clears throat> Russian. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is with guys like that, it's like, you know, that's the kind of role that, you know, for a young actor could go one way or the other. Like, you could be like, oh, my God, that guy's a scumbag. He played the terrorist in the Boston Bombers. Yeah. Or that's yeah. pretty ballsy that that dude did that. You kind, know? So, kind of like um, the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network. Yeah. Could or, have gone either or, way. Or, or you look at, you know, the Zac Efron just did the Ted Bundy movie. You know, that was a big career risk for him. But I don't know if you saw that movie, but it's phenomenal. It was great. It was great. And he did a great job. I mean, Zac Efron, like, That's killed it. Guy. He's a good actor. We're, we're, we're actually, he's someone that we've talked about for the Pete Frady's mm-hmm. role, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, some other roles for other movies have been, in, you know, that we're involved in. He's he's someone I would love to work with. That kid, that kid's, uh, he's got talent. He really does. He's got a strong jawline, that guy. He's not a bad looking dude. <laughs> I'll be harder than him one day. Just one, one celery stick a week for me. One celery stick a week. Yeah, you got to stop eating totally. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. We're, I'm going to call it the GDP diet or the crucifix diet. So nothing <laughs> or air. So, um, so you develop the story, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something of value that a lot of people could take from this is like, okay, cool. You got this banging story. You've been the head reporter. You were in there like a maniac mm-hmm. which i'll get to but how does the business work after that do you go do you personally reach out to like fox or 21st century no, that's, what, that's what my agent does that that's their job so you hired an agent after the book was done or beforehand so it, my uh, I, this is weird for me to talk about because it just happened and, and, and it's not you know i worked my ass off to get where i am but i can tell you, you know the, 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 the you boss know. you know look the boston marathon bombings happened and i was one of the lead reporters at the boston herald at the time and i led the paper's coverage for that whole thing and everyone knew while that was happening like this is going to be a movie like everyone knew like it was so cinematic the way it happened horrible tragedy you know everyone respected that but i think everyone was pretty certain like this is going to be documented in history much like 9-11 like everyone knew there'd be 9-11 movies because it was just such a shocking live tv event that impacted so many lives you know yeah and people want it it to be documented people want it to be documented and people want to know history they want to know the truth you know so after that happened and it kind of winded down casey called me that my co-author casey sherman who was just coming off the finest hours and we knew each other because he was a film he was a tv producer at channel four for many years at cbs in boston yeah he was a and they used a ton of that footage in the movie too yeah case so casey was an investigative reporter at channel four for years and so we had known each other for years and he called and he was like listen i'm i I think i'm going to do a book about the marathon bombings do you want to do it with me 
and I gave it some thought and I was like, you know, let me see. And then eventually I was like, you know, I'd always wanted to do a book and I had some other opportunities with other cases I worked on over the years, but. But you were that guy. It just never panned out. Like it was never a story that I was like, yeah, I want to spend a year of my life doing this, you know? But with this one, I was like, you know what? I, I, owe, I and I'm not. I, I, I seriously, know like, I was saying. like, listen, I kind of owed it to people to write this story. I was mm-hmm. there. I witnessed it. I had all the connections. I knew the governor. I knew the mayor. I knew the police commissioner. I, and you, you know, saw it happen. And I saw it. You know, I was there. So I was out there in Watertown. So I kind of felt like I needed to do it, you know? And, and I was like, as you know, messed up as it is, it was God sent. It was just something that, you know, someone had to do it. Mm-hmm. And and I'd rather it be me than some dude from Hollywood that just watched it on TV, you know. So yeah. so I wrote the book with Casey, and we you know we busted our ass. We became really really close with a lot of the survivors, and that was what was most important to us. Was like we want to make sure that they're okay with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And there were some that weren't. You know, there were some that were like, no, we don't want anything to do with that. We and don't I want you to commercialize to- this. Strategy. Totally respected that, you know. And you know, I mean, look, you know, you look at these families lost. You know, the Richard family, they lost their son. Like, the last thing they're thinking about is a movie. You know, they don't mm-hmm. care. They want their son back, you know? So I get that. But at the same time, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist and I tell stories. So that's what I do. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And ne- so ne- the long-winded answer is the next thing that happened was... Um, so were you... Did we, you feel like you had a- to walk on eggshells that whole time? When, when you were writing, I'm sure, like, you're posting up in a Starbucks or something every day, hammering mm-hmm. words away. But once the story was developed, were you like, wow this is like heavy stuff i kind of have to really watch what i do here it was overwhelming you know and like i said it was a huge responsibility you know you you got um you know literally everyone from the fbi down is going to look at this story you know and and analyze it you know i mean you got some balls man well you just had to look i've been a journalist for 20 years you know i've I've done tough stories it was a big story and, and that's why there was two of us and two guys that a give a shit and two know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think the fact that you care is like was probably so it's a important. Big deal. Especially you moving forward with it. I'm sure you were dealing with so much stuff. It was like, you know, I actually in my heart, like I think I really need to tell this story. Yeah, that's how I felt and I and I definitely think there were moments during the you know, production of Patriots Day where we had some fights with with people about different things that people that were involved in the production that oh, you know yeah. we disagreed on and, and we tried to tell them, you know, we had some knock down drag out screaming matches where we were like listen you guys we're the guys that have to still stay here in mm-hmm. boston and look these survivors in the face so get this fucking right because i don't want to be the one that they're like yeah you're an asshole you you fucked that movie up you know yeah that was like a, that was going to be one of my questions is when this thing went to the went to the screen you were probably so anxious like yo they better tell exactly the story that i put in the book because well, they no, could spin it. I, uh, no not really like we look i'm not telling pete berg what to do yeah pete berg is a hell of a director and great he's a smart guy friday and, night lights my favorite yeah and he he really you know the thing the biggest thing i learned on this was that pete berg busts his ass like he was out there interviewing people talking to cops talking to the fbi talking to survivors like he did his homework you know he hits the ground and he's got a big team that help him and so he did his homework, so we were just glad that he kept the spirit of the story, and, and we think that the stuff that he, you know, he incorporated some of his own stuff into the script, and the stuff that he used from our book, we think he was true to, and we, we think it, you know, we think the movie's great, you know, we think they did a good job. It's hard movie to watch, because it's sad, you know, and... It's gritty. It's, it's gritty. Direct, it's, it was very Peter Berg-like, the way he directed yeah, it, like yeah. very Lone Survivor, like he showed it when it was gruesome. Yeah, yeah. 
There were you know, it's funny. Ex- we went, explosions were we, so gritty. We went to the premiere with a bunch of the survivors that were our friends, and um, and you know we were worried, obviously, what they were going to think, and the the, the the reaction was from a couple of them. Two of them said this to me was that, you know, I was like, were you guys upset by the bombing scene? You know, because they were there and blood and legs and all that, and they were like, you know what? They were like, it was actually in the movie, it was less gory than it was in real life. They were like, it was way worse. So like they could have made that worse. Wow. And so I was like kind of like, whoa. Like I thought they were going to be upset and traumatized by it, but they were like, no, nah, it was way worse than that. So they were kind of satisfied. They were they were they, it was they, all, they all thought they did a tasteful job on it, and that's that was important to me and and you know, look, I think the movie's done pretty well. I think when you watch it and people it watch great. it, yeah, I think thank, yeah. thank you, man. It was awesome. Yeah, great no, moment. I mean I'm I'm like I said, I mean I'm I'd rather have someone like me that was involved directly do it and than some jerk yeah. that just was like yeah let's let's make a hundred million dollar thriller you know so and mark and mark too i mean mark had a vested interest too remember like he still has his, his family and friends in dorchester and if he made a shitty boston marathon movie like he would have heard it mm-hmm. but come on who else is gonna who else is gonna star in the boston no no marathon i'm saying movie? i'm saying like he had you, a vested you knew interest in you knew when right. this thing was turned into a movie like all right i'm either gonna get matt damon ben affleck well, originally, Casey, Casey Affleck was originally attached to it. Oh, was he? The, the original script, yeah, but it was a little darker. The, the original script was a little, the, the lead cop was a darker guy, which is the truth, which is our oh, book. Oh, my ACL. Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's that classic Marky Mark. So, uh, so question, and again, I want to make sure I span as much as I can. But, sure. So I was actually, my parents were split. I would never, ever stay at my father's house overnight. Surprisingly, the week of the marathon, I stayed at my father's house in Cambridge, and he lives off Mount Auburn Street. Yeah. So I was there. That's right over there, yeah. Like right there. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. heard it that night. Yeah. Our street had shut down. So I I was watching other interviews of you. So you get a call like, yo, there's this massive chase going on. Did you... Were you popping like major league Adderall during this time? <laughs> like, were you up for like eight straight days? Uh, no, I I was up, I was up for like f- probably forty hours though. Like I I was so I I got dude. I got home on Thursday, and they had just released the pictures. And, and there they, was this feeling in the city like, what just happened? What's going right. on? Right. So Thursday, the president was here, Obama and and Deval Patrick and Mayor Menino, and they all spoke at the church, and I covered that. And then I went and wrote my stories. I was in the newsroom till like 10 o'clock or so. Got home. I lived in Dorchester at the time in Savin Hill. And my wife had our son who was only two weeks old. You know, So this mayhem is going on. We got a two-week-old baby at home. My wife is a reporter too, but she's obviously on maternity leave home with the baby. So She was with the Herald also? She, yeah, she's a columnist with the Herald, Je- Jessica Heslam. So um, I got home. And it was like, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I like finally thought, I was like, all right, they just released the pictures of these dudes. It's going to take some time before they find them. I was like, I can hang out with the baby, get up tomorrow morning, have coffee and go to work. No. You know, I, I mean, I, I took the baby on my chest and turned on the TV and, and immediately like an alert came up that there was a cop killed at MIT. And I took, literally took the baby and gave it back to my wife. I was like, I got to go. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, it's got to be connected. Like... MIT cop getting killed. It just doesn't so doesn't random. happen. And uh, there was like a convenience store robbery too. And I was like, they, dudes on the run do that sort of stuff. They like yeah, rob they convenience they, they stores and then they kill a cop. You know, mm-hmm. that's unfortunately. So my boss called and was like, you know, head over there. So I started speeding over towards 
uh, MIT. And as I was on the way there, we heard on the scanner about the bombings over in Watertown. So he's like, get to the corner of Dexter and Laurel Street in Watertown. And you mean like the, the hand explosive device? Yeah, they were throwing grenades at the I, cops. I, I heard yeah. them at yeah. night, yeah. I remember. So, and that that's what's crazy about it. My boss was like, and I we didn't know what was going on. Like, we didn't know why they in this neighborhood. We didn't know maybe there was a safe house and there was 20 terrorists with we had no idea what was going on. I mean, the images you know, were released at this time, though, correct? Yeah, but nobody knew like why they were in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were meeting with more guys yeah. that were going to help them I do other stuff. That, you know, yeah. that's what we were thinking. We were like, you know, maybe they have a safe house. And maybe a bunch they of weren't guns. just too like inexperienced, right? Idiots. At the time, everyone was like ISIS, Al Qaeda. You know, who are these? I remember dudes? ISIS tried to claim it too. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, so. You know, it was it was scary. It was scary, and you know, my boss was like, you know, that there's a shootout. It sounds like they're throwing bombs at the police, and I was like, they're th- throwing bombs. He's like, I don't know, hand grenades or something. He's like, it's a battle zone. He's like, get your ass over there. So, so you getting that Lexus? Is that what you? No, you not here? not that. I, at that time, I was still at the Herald, so I didn't have the Lexus. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that was before the big deal. That was that was uh, that was when I was uh, on a newspaper salary. So was, so you were in the Subaru. I, was dry, I I think I had a Camry at the time. Ah, <laughs> but you still got married. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, so you drive that over into Watertown. Yeah, and I dumped it. Where'd you at, park? At, I dumped it at the crime scene somewhere on. Um, like right near that CVS. Yeah, I was like, uh, no, no, I was, I was on. Dexter and Laurel, like where the bombing happened, like no one was there yet. So, so when I got there, I just I dumped my car and I got out and there was like smoke everywhere, people running all over the place, stadies with guns, confusion. There was a couple other people from the media there. I actually ran into a fellow reporter of mine from the Herald and she looked completely traumatized. She was, I was like, what's going on? She's like, I I don't know, I don't know. And a photographer was like, no one knew what was going on. They were like tackling kids because they were looking for. Young guys, and they there was remember that that neighborhood. There's a bunch of bars. Mm-hmm. It was like one in the morning. Dudes are leaving the bar drunk, getting tackled by cops. Like no one knew what was going on. And then my my car actually ended up um, inside the crime scene. They put up the police tape. My car was inside it, so I couldn't leave, even if I had wanted to. I know. And um, I ended up just staying there through the night. And and all your Adderall was in the car, so I you were really uh, you were tired. I, I was. I well, I didn't have a charger. So I had no phone charger, wow. I had no food, no water, and then and then they shut everything down. So are you during this time? Some lady, do you have like a notepad lady, in your hand. You're like just I, like looking. I had around? a notepad. Yeah, I had a notepad, but I I, I did you know I, I was on. So I got in trouble because I was on Twitter, and I was tweeting everything that was happening. I was live tweeting, and the head of the Boston police actually called me. This the head of communications was like, Dave, stop, stop you tweeting. You you the you're letting these guys know if they're watching your Twitter, they know where we are. You got to stop. And I was like, so now I'm balancing like people's right to know with public safety. Mm-hmm. So I stopped, you know, I, 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 I didn't stop totally, but I like stopped saying exact addresses. I was like, you know, cops now, but they were like, you know, we'd be standing in front of a house and then all of a sudden they'd like the national guard would come running towards us like 40 guys and they'd be like, get back, get down, back. down, down. Pretty much. Yeah. And they would shove us away. They'd push us back a block. And then they would go in and raid the house we were just in front of with, like, guns, dogs, everything. So, yeah, so they, like, they didn't go into my dad's house, but they patrolled the street in Cambridge, and they went up and down yeah. the block. Mount Auburn was, like, where it was going down. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So you got there after the one of the brothers was already dead, though, Yeah, right? I got, yeah, I got so there. So you were there during yeah, the search. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember they advised everyone stay in your house, and I had driven. I was like, all right, I just don't want to wait here all day. 
And so that day I had driven and the streets were so eerily empty and quiet. It was like You could have got arrested for doing that. Well, then I actually didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I was at the house all day. But they were so eerily quiet. It was like you could just cut the tension. It was so scary. Well, it because everyone knew that that dude had not. He was not out of state. They knew he was in the circle. They knew he was somewhere. Well, I I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of the cops thought he made it to the T and might have been on his way to New York or get out of town because they didn't. You know, they there was talk that so he was actually found outside the perimeter. They did a twenty block perimeter and he was found at like block twenty one. And I rem- so, and I remember there they were afterwards they had passed the boat a couple times, right? Yeah. So they were afraid that he might have got out. They thought he was wounded, but they weren't sure. So you stayed the whole time. Yeah, I stayed until they caught him. Yeah. So where were you when you had found out that he was caught? It's I don't even remember. I was on one of those streets over. I, I think I think I was near Watertown Square, I believe, and um, I remember. There was like a bar restaurant over there that I was kind of working out of. I was writing stories and, and communicating, and I what, was finally it, found was a Was it Mount Auburn Grill? Might have been. Right right, right in the square there. And then just, and then what happened was all of a sudden I, we just heard tons of cheering. And then we heard there was cops out there, and we heard on their scanners, we heard that he was in custody. And, and then there was like a parade of fire trucks and cop cars, and everyone was sirens and all that. And... Minnie, you know, got on got on the air and thanked everybody, and it was it was crazy. What a wild time! Yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. So, the forty hours is over, right? And I'm sure you're just totally strung out, no sleep. You're seeing the craziest <laughs> shit you've ever seen. Chaos. What second craziest shit I ever saw? Oh, you saw nine eleven too, yeah, right? Yeah. So did you did you feel like you were? somewhat more prepared for the second situation because you had yeah, already seen it? totally. Because you had known what real mu- chaos much smaller, was like. Much smaller scale, you know what I mean? But same fear but though, right? The same fear, and, and you you know, you know mentioned the eerie streets. Like, that's exactly the same. Like, you know, you go down Boylston Street and nobody's on it. That's bizarre. You know, you'll never see that hopefully ever again. It's awful. It's, it's a terrible feeling. It really is. As a journalist, though, you... You kind of sign up for stuff like this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... You don't hope for it, but it's like kind of your job. Well, it's funny because I, I... So the morning of 9-11, when I got sent down there, um, it might have been the next day. I did not I did a live interview with Dennis and Callahan on EEI, and I was down at Ground Zero, and, and Dennis asked me that. He's like, well, as a journalist, you know, this is what you sign up for. You know, you want the big story. And I was like... I as a young journalist, like I always was, like yeah, I want to cover a big, huge story. How, how old you were know? you at the time of nine eleven? I was thirty one. Thirty one. Yeah. I thought you were twenty six. The math I isn't do. making sense, man. I'm 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 only twenty nine now. <laughs> okay. Now. Um, I'm old, bro. I turned forty nine last week. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. That's not old. Yeah. It is what it is. I can't control it, but um, you'll be here till you're one hundred thirty. I hope. But they, you know, they they asked me that question, and I was like, you know. I remember when I first got to the Herald in 1999, I was always like, you know, I read the Herald my whole life. I was like, I want to cover these big stories. That's awesome. Like, I want to do that. But then when a story comes that's that big, you don't want it. You know, it's too big. Like, that's that, and that's what I said on EEI that morning. I was like, this story is too big. Like, nobody wants to cover this. I liked covering, like, a you know, a, a real interesting murder case. So, like, serial killers, or, you know, stuff like that. But terrorism, man, I don't want to cover that. It's awful because that's just horrible it's it's just the uncertainty and the fear that it inflicted on entire the entire country have you always just been very inquisitive though 
Like, has that always been kind of your thing? Like, you want to get a deeper meaning to most stuff? Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I've always been analytical, I think. And, and I was always, you know, I always wanted to write. I just, I knew I always wanted to write books and movies, but I didn't know how to get there. Like, when I was a little kid, yeah, I used Your grind is untraditional, man, but I love it. It it's is. Awesome. I mean, it's it's my path, you know, and, it you know, it's working for me and I'm I'm happy with what I what I do. But, like, when I was a little kid, like, me and my friends used to write fake movies and we used to record like fake radio shows and we'd you know write little stupid books like so i always wanted to do movies and books i just didn't know how to get there so so in retrospect you knew you knew that this was where you are now i knew it's what i wanted to do but it's not like uh, this what i'm doing right now still isn't even exactly what i want to do like i love to get there though i love the nonfiction. like i love telling these amazing stories that i'm i'm so lucky to be able to tell but i do have a story like we talked about at the beginning, like an outside Providence type of story something in more me, cinematic. something that I want to get out at some point in my life before, you will. before I'm 130. Cast me, man. <laughs> I'd love to be in it. Yeah, no, I just, I... I if you need a, an Efron, like, stunt double type I thing. Do, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's also very interesting because you're now, like, your career shifted in the past couple of years. And so when you're grinding as a reporter i'm sure you enjoy it Mm -hmm. but you kind of have that have that boston hustle in you so like the whole time you're grinding as a reporter where you're like you know what if i just keep doing my job really well eventually i'll get to this next level yeah that's that's kind of what i always thought i mean you know there was kind of two paths for me it was like at some point i'll do a book and maybe it's good and maybe it does well and i keep doing books or i do a book and then i just keep being a reporter that was path number one path number two was Maybe I keep doing well as a reporter, and then maybe I go to TV, or maybe I go to radio, or something like that. And that's that, what the kids call a glow up. <clears throat> glow yeah. up. Uh, thanks for that. I'll, <laughs> sure. I'll use that one. But um, you're from Brockton. You it's harder to glow up today than it used to be. It's harder to do. Like in the media business, it's really hard, hard to, to move transition. up now. It's there's just nowhere to go. You know, the, the the business is not in great shape. So it's like even if you go to TV, it it might not even be a better job. Well, so to speak, it might not be know? around and like might not be around. Right. But or, Netflix will be Netflix will be exactly. So, um, you know, so I, you know, cause I had a lot of reporter friends that had done books and they just stayed reporters, you know, it never really, the books didn't do that well or whatever, but you know, we, we, you know, we've hustled and we've written some good books. So, so what, what yeah, what was that like when the internet came around and like, the, cause dude, the, so, yeah. one of the craziest things is when you drive past the old globe office oh, yeah. on Morrissey Boulevard, Oh yeah, it is like, dude, the internet destroyed this place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it destroyed a lot of media. I mean, the, you know, the internet's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, it's, it's connected us more than ever, but it's destroyed a lot Some of businesses. businesses, you know, it's destroyed travel agents. It's destroyed, you know, newspapers, bookstores. Uh, bookstores mm-hmm. yes yeah not completely Barn- but borders is gone barnes and noble borders is gone right barnes yeah. and noble embracing true, in it, true. So. yeah true that, that's when jerry taught me. yeah yeah <laughs> i'm listening to big yeah. j but um yeah no I, I mean i i remember you know when when i started the herald in 99 like we didn't have cell phones we didn't even have cell phones and then i remember we had i remember when we got the first internet terminal we there was one in the library and you had to go out there and use it it was like a dial up and you had to get a password yeah. and all that crap and then then i remember we got nextels do you remember you probably the chirp. do you remember the chirp yeah we had, we had those and um you know and then it, and you had a beeper i'm sure 
Didn't I, I never had a pager? Oh, but all oh, the, oh all you, the, you weren't the, big business. All the photographers had pagers because they because the police would send out alerts for like incidents over the pagers. It's, it was like a, a, subscri- a subscription service. But then I remember, you know, internet obviously became more a part of reporting. You know, but you still like everything wasn't online then. Like you couldn't Google stuff and find everything. Like now, everything is on the internet. It was, you know, and it, that was a slow evolution. But the the real change I remember the most was Twitter in two thousand eight for news. For news, when Twitter like first came out, you know, I was like, or oh, kind of weird. Well, the big one was the the movie Sully, the the miracle on the mm-hmm. Hudson. When that boat landed, some dude on the plane tweeted about it and that's how the news broke all the news picked it up from twitter that was the first time that i remember that really a major news story broke from just some dude on twitter social platform not a reporter and and that was a moment where i was like all right we're in trouble here i was like i better download twitter i was like we can't break news anymore because we used to break news like we'd get a story from the police or the fire or politician whatever and we'd put it on our website and then people would see it on our website kind of like kind of like spotlight Exactly. Like the movie, because I remember yeah. they're holding on to the yep. story about the priests, yeah. and they're holding on to it and holding on to yep. it, and then they just broke it. That's how my life was in my early in my career, you know. And one- it's fun though for you, right? You know, like it's it probably invigorated your career a little bit. You're like, all right, I got to be on the ball now. I got to switch things up. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I mean, I'm active on social media, obviously, and you know, it's it's been. I think that I've personal used a, brand. I've used it pretty well in my career, but I, I'm not like a massive. Twitter dude, because now I'm writing books, you know, and it's like, what's in my book? Like, no one's going to know that until the book comes out, you know, and no one's going to steal that and tweet it, you know? So it is a little different than news. Like, daily news, like, you get busted every day by Twitter, you know? So, yeah, so that's a good segue, too. So on a a Casey Affleck tip, love Manchester by the Sea, right? And so the guy, Kenneth, is it Lonergan? Lonergan? Lonergan, yeah. How do writers make money in between big projects? Like he he wrote Manchester by the Sea, which was huge. Before that, then that came in twenty sixteen. Before that, there was a movie in twenty eleven, and then he was like a writer on Gangs in New York in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do these dudes just make a massive check and then just wait well, for the, ten years? Or uh, every again, everybody's career is different. But like, I have some friends. I have a friend who's a screenwriter for Warner Brothers, and he's like a staff screenwriter. And you know, nothing the dude has written has actually been made into a movie, but he gets hired to like rewrite scripts all Edit. the time. He does rewrites. He just hired, and you know, and then like, you know, he'll, they'll say, Hey, we want you to do a script on this and he'll spend a year and they'll pay him a salary and he does it. So there's, there's writing gigs out there that guys can get, but you have to get that first one. Like now we are getting writing gigs. Like I just told you, we get hired to write this screenplay. That's something that wouldn't have happened had I not done Patriot's day, you know? You got to get that first one. And then there's other, I mean, there's also, again, you talk about the internet. I mean, the indie film community is huge now. Like I have a lot of friends that are, they'll go out and raise a million dollars and they'll just make the movie. You know, they'll hire a cameraman, they'll hire a crew, they'll hire sound guys, they'll hire, you know, pay the actors and they're getting like legit actors. Like uh, there's a movie that just finished filming in um, in Rosendale called Last Night in Rosie. And Jeremy Sisto's in it, who's on, he's on like CSI or something that, um. You were telling me this last night. Yeah, the yeah. blonde, the blonde woman from, um, Hall Pass is in it. That Um, what's her name? I don't know. I, you should have this stuff. You're young. But, um, and oh, then. Oh, we on camera? Who looks more handsome, me or Dave? <laughs> I'll give it to Dave. <laughs> 
But my point is, you know, they they raised. I think they raised a half a million bucks to make that movie, and you know, that's that's going to be a movie. It'll be on Netflix. It'll be out in theaters, and and it's a it's a damn good movie. So, you know, someone got paid to write that. You know, so there are writing jobs out there that guys can find if they're good. Like you, you got to hustle. I love the hustle. No one's going to knock on your door and say, hey, "Here's a million bucks. Hey, here's a million dollars. Write books." You know, you got to go get it. So you are from Brockton. I am. Also, yeah. how are my questions? Am I doing good? I tried, doing great. I tried to hold myself professionally. <laughs> doing man. great. So you're from Brockton. You've sworn less than I have, so that's good. I didn't hear many swears. Did you, Jack? I want to make sure your five-year-old son can watch this. Mm. <laughs> when he's 20. You know what's crazy? The thing about the internet, though, is the one thing I like is I've done stuff on the internet for a long time, and I love the fact that it's documented. Like It is good. My come up. Like, I love yeah. it, you know? And... uh so when me and you in 10 years, right, we're working on a movie together, an awesome movie, right? Yep. We got a huge movie in theaters. It's all over Boston. We can at least say, look look where the relationship started. That's true. Or, or like your grandkids will be able to watch th- this interview. Yeah, true, true. So, so shout out to your grandkids. What's up, everybody? <laughs> so, yeah, you're from Brockton. Yep. And you're also somewhat connected to Boston music. You understand am, it. yeah, it's shifted yeah. a lot. I got mm-hmm. a lot of kids who listen are connected to Boston music who tune into the show. So how one, I don't know if you know this, but Brockton is like glowing up more there. It's like a much more cohesive group than what's going on in Boston right now. That's cool to hear. I mean, it's always been a good music community in Brockton. You know, it's a rough town as you know. And yeah, did you see Wayne? Wayne, no. So there was this YouTube series shot by this guy from Oh, Brockton yes, about- yes. I, heard, I never watched it, but I heard about it. And it was good. Jack, did you see it? It was, it was like real, it was directed very different than anything I've ever yeah. expected. And I know people in Brockton were like, dude, this is the most stereotypical movie of, I mean, yeah. f- web series of all time. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I went to a huge high school, 5,000 kids, and we had- Yeah, there's some stories about Brockton. Yeah, I mean, we had dudes, so one of the kids that I went to high school with was a guy named Garfield Bright, who was in a group called Shy. Sounds like a serial killer. A- S- no, dude, this kid was a, he's he's a- a G dude, this dude's Garfield awesome. Garfield Bright. Garfield Bright is his name. He ended up. He went to Har- uh, Howard University, and he joined an R and B group called Shy S H A I. And if I ever, yep, yep. You know, fall in love. That's it. That's them. Yeah, I'm impressed. Are, are they all Boston? Uh, no, they were all from Howard University. I will be sure that the ladies are friends. How do you know that song? They did a cappella. I love it. All right. So Garfield was a classmate of mine. So, I, and then there was a kid named Chris Bender that was a he had just signed a huge record contract and he got murdered in Brockton, Jeez. and he was like a he he that kid was was going to be a uh, a big star. And then the kid Pooch Pooch Johnson, he's from Brockton. These sound like so many old head names, man. Po- Pooch Johnson's <laughs> on a show now. He's on, he's like a TV actor. Pooch Pooch. Pooch, I think it's Pooch Johnson, I believe is his name. It sounds like the most classic yeah, like is, old guy yeah, talking about a guy from back in his day. But Pooch he's Johnson. A, he's on TV now. He's on some show. He's a young dude, though. He's younger than me. He's like he's like I don't know, his 30s maybe. But my point is, you know, there's always been a lot of creative talent in Brockton. It's just moving very cohesive now. Yeah. And so I mean, you knew shout out to Giles and shout out well, to yeah, you. Yeah, we, we were you just knew. talking about Giles and I just discovered him some I saw him on Twitter and and I've I listened to his album. It's great. They have know? a great group that's called Van Buren, and so there's okay. like seven. Actually, I don't. 
maybe more, but there's just a group of like producers and artists that are kind of like coming up together. That's great. That's great. It's wild. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, I come from the older guard on the rap side, you know, I'm, I'm a metal guy and, but I also was into the rap scene for a long time too. And, you know, Slane's a good friend of mine and, and a lot of those guys. And, you know, I, I, you know, I knew like Ed OG and those guys that, that were mm-hmm. the original Boston guys. Like Ed OG had some big hits, you know. Back what about um, RSO? I, I knew Benzino. I knew Ray, and um, were you, you were reporting at the time. I got in some trouble with Ray. Ray got a little mad at me a few times. Why did you say some stuff about him? Yeah, with the Paul Pierce thing. When Paul Pierce got stabbed, it was all connected to like Ray's boys and. and oh, you know, you are been made, part of so many classic made, stories. Made men. Yeah, I covered all that, dude. Ray was real pissed at me because because I wrote some stories for the Herald about how made men was involved and, you know, you, but R, RSO was great. I mean, they, that one in the chamber, that was a very controversial song. That was, I believe it was part of the, um, the Tipper Gore hearings with the PMRC when they were trying to put the parental advisory stickers. I yeah. believe RSO's one in the chamber was one of those songs along wow. with like Twisted Sister and NWA, Ghetto Boys, all that shit. Cause RSO was pretty big. And then Benzo started, the source magazine mm-hmm. you know Still so there's been a ton you know now you got guys like cousin stiz that are just blowing up you know mm-hmm. and it's, it's nice to see coming. it's nice to see and my again my you got my, a really good pulse in the city you have a really good dude pulse. i've been around man i know, I know a lot of people you know i know a lot would of you people. ever move nah i don't want to you move. love it too much yeah, i love boston but what if they say what if william morris hits you up and say hey listen nah, dave wedge i got a 10 million dollar check I'll, for you man i'll, I'll be bi-coastal then y- your son can, <laughs> your, you can pay for your son to go to bc high now Nah, I'll be bi-coastal. Oh, yeah, I'll always back be and here. forth? Yeah, I'll always be, be, be here. Yeah, I don't really... I, I will definitely leave at some point, but I love the city, man. I mean, you know, look, a lot of people say you got to leave if you want to make it, you know, but I don't no one's working that. hard enough. I don't, th- I don't think anyone has to go anywhere anymore. I mean, look, at you can live anywhere now and do this internet. stuff. Yeah. The internet. So this is a nice shot from Seaport. Who took that? <laughs> stock, uh, stock image? No, nah, I believe... I don't know where that came from. I think my the the girl who designed the website took that, I believe, or it could be stock footage. I actually love coming over this bridge because then you feel like you're entering into like a tunnel of buildings. Yeah. How, cool how about the seaport? How much has that come up since you? Dude, around? so I, I used to be a lot. talk about again old guy stuff. I mean, I used to go to the channel. Wow. Which was now there's that great podcast mm-hmm. that my buddy Nate Holman. Have you had Nate on yet? I haven't. So Nate Nate writes for Metro and and he writes for Dig Boston and. Um, he's got a podcast about the channel and that's a wild, you know, Boston story. And, you know, the channel was like this dirty old rock club down on Fort Point right on the channel. That's why it was called the channel. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's all that was down there. And like, when you went there, like you literally Someone felt like telling us about this. you felt like you had taken your life into your hands. Like it was in a wasteland and there was like <laughs> zombies walking Would around. Would you go down there? I, I went to a bunch of shows there. Yeah, it was a punk, see, you know? see, I'm starting to realize, though, to be a good like, reporter and in media, you got to have a little bit of tap in you, man. You got to yeah, be able gotta, to just put your you life gotta on the line. You got to throw caution in the wind a little bit, you know? L- like, uh, I, like would, you bounce, would, you, would you bounce around Roxbury and Dorchester a ton? Oh, uh, yeah, I used to go hang out. Yeah, I used to always go hang out. <laughs> this is my guy. Me, me and my, my buddy from BC, we used to, you know, everyone else is going to Boylston Street and, like, Faneuil Hall, and we would go into, like, Fields Dorchester Corner. and Fields Corner. We'd go to the, you know, places. So you've you know, always loved just old. pushing the limit. I just like to explore. Like we used to go to Slades, have drinks at Slades, you know. And it's like, what was the uh, was the Naked Eye around? I've been in the Naked Eye many times. The Combat Zone. Yeah. We learned that from someone else. The Combat Zone was a scary place, man. Like was that it? neighborhood is like beautiful now. Like you, you would, Chinatown, right? I knew a dude who got beaten with a bat with a nail in it down there, and he put in the hospital, almost died. 
kid I played hockey with, his brother. Wow. Billy McGaffigan was his name. Wow. And my dad used and that. that also like, sounds like another don't old go head to, name. He's like, don't go to the combat zone. You'll get a bat in the head like Billy McGaffigan. My dad used but to say But you're like, dad, I'll meet my new girlfriend, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, Boston's changed a lot. I mean, it was a... It was a it was a blue-collar, tough a city. Dump, there was yeah. some bad neighborhoods. You know, like where I live, Savin Hill, Stab and Kill, you know, it was a dump back in the day. When did you shift from Brockton up to here, just when you started writing? After BC, after after college. Yeah, I lived in Brockton for a few years after college, and then I moved back into the city. I moved to Southie. You lived there for like three years, and then met my now wife, and we moved in together, and then we got a place in Dorchester, and we were in Savin Hill for like 10 years. And that Boston Strong check came in. He said, I'm moving to Milton. <laughs> I stayed I stayed in Dorchester for a long time oh, yeah. after that. But what actually happened was um, the real estate market in Savin Hill went so bananas, that, it, and then we had our son. I was like, we can make a lot of money on this condo, because we bought in Savin Hill like right before it started. It was like right around 08. Before it started taking off, so we made good money on the condo, and that allowed us to move to Milton. So my yeah, not to <clears throat> incriminate my dad financially here at all, but he had built his house in Cambridge for forty thousand dollars in the Mount Auburn neighborhood, mm. and it's probably worth well over a million dollars now. Isn't that yeah. wild? Yeah, I mean they're selling condos in Dorchester now for a million. Well, think of the seaport too. It's crazy. Think of four. Well, Point. back to that. I mean, so when the channel was open. That's literally, there was the channel and then there was a place called Polyesters, which was like an old disco that was right across from where the Spirit of Boston Does your wife know about this? She knows about all of it. <laughs> and then there was a place on the water called, uh, it was called the Seaport, Gr- the Seaport Grill, I believe. And those were like the only places you could go. And there was, of course, Anthony's Pier 4. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the place like was all parking lots. The Trade Center was there or no? The Trade Center. The big white tent? The tra- No, no. The pavilion. That's, it, that's the, all. The what, Trade Center is... Where we go the to trade the center Expo. came in. I don't know the timeline there, but like th- there was no commerce. Like there was, it was a working waterfront. Did you know at the time that it was going to be a huge commercial boom? I, you know, it happened fast, and like we always talked about it. Like me and my my wife and my friends, I was always like, "This is waterfront property." Looking at the city, why has no one developed this? But it was, if you do the history, it was the federal courthouse was the first piece of it, and there was a developer named Frank McCourt that owns the L.A. Dodgers. And he owned a bunch of that land down there, and he held it hostage. And then he eventually cashed in, and then Jack Hines bought a bunch of it. And now, you know, WS Development owns it all, you know, so it's... Do you know everybody in the city? Most people. Dude, I was a reporter for 14 years at the Boston Herald. So uh, so you got into <laughs> reporting for the right reasons, right? Was there ever a point in your career where you're worried, you're like, dude, I don't want to be... I don't want to just, like, start gossip in the city, Cause that's one thing that's mm. tough for me with the show is like it's media, right? I just mm. really want to just like develop a relationship with someone yeah. and build it. I don't want to like start anything with anyone or say something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I how always, did you navigate that? I, I always struggled with you know I covered politics for a lot of years, you know, and and people drop dimes and try to ruin people's careers. So I did struggle with with that responsibility at times. It's like I had to make a judgment call. Like, is it legit to blow this guy up or is it not and there was times where i thought it wasn't and my bosses thought it was and they did it anyway but my name was on it and i felt bad about it but there were other times where like did anyone ever come for your neck i mean i i got threats many times you know i'm you should bring it (laughs) i'm from brockton no i i remember the 
I got I got chased out of a crack house in Worcester once. What that were was you doing bad. in the crack house? I was interviewing. <laughs> I was interviewing the family. This guy's sick. I was interviewing the family of a prostitute who got murdered. There was a serial killer out in uh, Worcester, and I was there. And the girl started talking to me, and then there was a bunch of dudes in the house, and they were like, "Who are you talking to?" And she was like, "The Boston Herald." And they're like, "Fuck the Herald, fuck the media," and they just started getting pissed, and they they chased me out of the house. Wow. And my photographer was coming in, and I was running. I was like, dude, get out of here. Run to your car. Go, go, go. go. So we ran to our cars and took off. And then, you know, I. And then you were smiling the whole way home. No, I was, I, was, I was terrified. I could have got total, I was total, I got bum rushed, dude. You're, you're I could have totally smiling, got killed. Though. I know you had a, there was a rush. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the truth is, like, when you're in a situation like that, like, you, you're not a cop. You don't have a gun, and you're by yourself. You got those Brockton mitts. Yeah, it doesn't matter if there's. Five dudes and one, one of them has, has a pen a gun. in their hand. The other one's yeah. got a notepad. Exactly. I'm not going to do much with a pen, <laughs> but you know, things like that. You know, and you know, people would call you and make threats. As you know, and, and eventually, then it became emails, and now it's now it's on social media. Tweets. Yeah. We hate you, Dave. Wendt. But I'll tell you that I've never seen worse stuff. I never received the kind of threats that my wife receives. What, what she, she gets cover? more horrible stuff. Like she's covered a lot of news, um, but. Just peep the things that guys will say to women is messed up. Like they take it right to that other yeah, sexual level that easy. we don't get. You know, mm -hmm. they'll be like, "I'll kick your ass." They'll be like, you know, they they start yeah. throwing around sexual assault threats. It's awful, you know. Is, and a lot of women deal with it. Is, in the is that tough for you as a like a protective husband? Yeah, it makes me pissed. But she's you know she's tough. She can handle herself. And most of it's just like keyboard cowards. You know what Stupid. I mean? Stupid. Yeah, just. But I, you know, there's been a couple of, um, you know, there's been a couple of sports radio guys that that have said some stuff over the years on the air, and I've I've had some words with them. Fisticuffs ever? Nah, I'm not. I'm dude. I'm old. You're not gonna go fight. You're Brockton man. Yeah. So, if you could, <laughs> so another question is, there's now this. It's not recent. It's been a grind, and you've seen it happen, but. How does Boston Entertainment's market grow in total? Like, I think we were talking about this a little bit, but like, a city kind of needs like a studio or a music label mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. to develop real commerce in the city. These big films come here and they get tax credits, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And some people have said like, well, you know, for those like little extra parts, they should hire local talent and stuff like that. But how does that happen where Boston becomes like a, a rivaling entertainment market similar to like a new york or la well we're never going to compete with new york or la it's just not going to happen you know that truth bomb boom it, it's true i mean it's it, i mean the infrastructure there is just too you know you're talking it's 150 years yeah. you know what i mean it's like it's like you know it's just to, we're in we're in a great time in media and entertainment you know anyone can do anything from anywhere you know it's it's a it's a gig economy, and I think Boston's benefiting from that. All these movies come, and these people. I have I have a friend of mine who's a he does a, he's a technical guy for the movies. He does all the electronics and electrical and all that, and he's that he's, he's working all the time, man. He, there's constantly productions here now, so you know I'm on my own now. So what what you said before, you know, a writer will get paid, and then you don't get paid. Like I get paid, and then I don't get paid for six months, you know, and it's like. 
that's a little scary. You know, I don't have a steady stream of income like I used to when I was a reporter. But but you're nuts. You're meant for this. Well, I, and I also just think it's it's the economy we're in now. And if you want to do what you love, like you might have to just go get it. You might right. have to go get a job. Like you know, if you want to work in the movies, like there's an opportunity to work in the movies in Boston now. You just got to go figure out how to do it and figure out what you're good at. You know, and and then yeah, you might have to move to New York, or maybe you get hired to go do a movie in Toronto, and then you come back. Like another friend of mine is a producer. She's um she works for HGTV, and she does those like house flipping shows, and she's a producer on it. And she she'll they'll hire her for like five episodes, and then she doesn't work for six months. Is she a line producer or executive? She, yeah, producer? she's a line producer. Yeah, so. You know, my point is like you don't have to live in New York or LA to get these kind of jobs. You just have to get the connections. I mean, like, yeah, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do how do people? Yeah, make the infrastructure. Real money here? Yeah. Well, Will these people are, these people are all making real money. I mean, Ben Mesrick's making real money, and he lives on Boylston Street. You know, he, Bitcoin billionaires. His book is one of the number one books in the country right now. What's Robin? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Um, I, I, you know, there is, there's the big studio out in Fort Devens. You know about that, right? Yeah. There's a giant The studio. Megaplex. Yeah, there's a giant studio. And that, that's a busy studio. And there's a friend of mine runs a company called Media Boss. And they're- That's, that's not Four Point Media. They're busy though. all the time, though. Like, they, they, I think my, my answer is like, you know, is Warner Brothers going to locate here? Is, you know, some giant record label going to open up here? Like, probably not. But there's tons of opportunities. And there's tons of people doing. I mean, look at what you told me about the guy here, the Pretty engineer wild. here. I mean, that's a great example, you know. Of there's a lot, and the, he's just one. There's a lot of people doing that. I know. I have a friend in Taunton that's a producer, and he does major label stuff all the time. You know, they'll send him, "Hey, go to see this guy." You know, he gets post work, you know, and stuff like that. Dave's direct, and he's blunt, but I, I do want to hear a little more optimism out of you. Come on, man. It could get bigger. It could get bigger than you're yeah. imagining it. No, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you got City on a Hill right now, which is on Showtime, just got renewed. Smilf. Canceled. Bummer. But, you know. Um, Central, you, know, you, you seen Central Intelligence? I haven't seen that one. No. Dude, the, the all-star cast in that movie is unbelievable. I got to see it. I know, but you know, Ryan Reynolds is filming a movie right now here. Adam Sandler's filming one in Salem right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it is pretty big in Boston. I think, you know, if you had to, it's probably like L.A., New York. Georgia, Atlanta. Yeah, I think Atlanta and Boston are pretty much next. And Toronto maybe and Vancouver. Toronto, Vancouver. Those are like the second tier markets. I think we're a second tier entertainment market. Back to my point real quick about the Central Intelligence All-Star cast. So yeah, so there was The Rock. The Rock, right? Yeah. yeah and, and Kevin and, you know, Hart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then third, there was there was Connor Hall. It was in that one, which was, how did they cast him? <laughs> He's got a great agent, man. That's pretty wild. I heard he had like two seconds of screen time. Angela Perry help you with that? Shout out to Ange, man. Yeah, yeah. I actually have not met her, but Ange, we're going to get you up here. I've been hounding your assistant. Where she, you? She's a boss. She's busy, busy lady. Like I said, they're filming a lot of movies right now. I love that hustle, though, because she built it on her own. Yeah. yeah. I love your well, hustle you know, the, you did it on your own. There's two casting agencies in Boston now. There's also Slate, which is huge, too. So that tells you something. If there's two casting agencies in the city, it's growing. Are they looking for like tall six foot three white dudes? Maybe. With a body fat percentage of about seven. Play a young Drago. Whoa. <laughs> he could play he's Aquaman's like little brother. I gotta see Creed too. I heard it's good. 
Did you see it? I have. I saw Creed one, not Creed two. I haven't seen two yet. Michael B. Jordan's great. I got to see that. So if you could, well, this is how we'll end it, right? Your movie comes out, the outside Providence, but outside Boston yeah. type film. Don't give away any of your ideas because I know you've probably been manifesting it for years. <laughs> I got a crazy film idea that I'll tell you about too. But you can have an all-star cast. You got five actors. Give them to me. Oh, that's a tough one. Put me on the spot. Like, like that, that question? That's tough. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd have to put Casey Affleck in there. Nice. He's, Good he's, choice. He's that's one my guy. Of, he's one of my favorites. Um, and who do you want to direct it if you don't direct it? Oh, man. Jeez, I don't know. These are tough questions. You should have gave me, gave, let me have some prep with these. Um, I thought of them. I mean, I, you know, obviously the Farrelly brothers, who I'd want to direct. He's being political. No, I'm not <laughs> at all. I mean, I think they're... The Farrelly they, brothers. Shut they do movies with heart. They do movies with spirit, you know, and there's a lot of people that do, you know, but I... Do you like, I, did I you like, uh, was it called the, the I, I, Green Book? Green, Green Book. Book, I haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't seen it. But um, what's your, what's your favorite Farrelly brother besides Outside Providence? It's gotta be me, myself, and Irene. No, 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 no. I, I like, I like Kingpin. Kingpin's good. That's good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Kingpin's good, and actually, I, I think Hall Pass is a is a great movie. I think it's funny and something about Mary's great. Something Brett about Favre comes to the outside. They're all, what's they're this all dude good, doing yeah. here? I mean, the Stuck on You's funny. See, I love their stuff because you know it makes them laugh. Right. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. It's awesome. Well, I told you, you got to get my buddy Chris Meyer on here who mm-hmm. did... Um, will you vouch for me? I will. He did 20 movies with them, and, and he's worked with them for years, and he, he t- he'll he tell you a million stories. I mean, that they had so much fun making those movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you gave me three. I only gave you one. I well, think. you gave me the Fairly Brothers, which is like okay, a directing okay. duo. Um, actors, huh? Female lead. Female lead. I mean, uh, I, I I like Michelle Monaghan. I like her a lot. I love her. You know, obviously Patriots Day as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, Jennifer Lawrence, amazing. I love J Lot, man. Yep, yep, yep. She's great. She's a talent. Um, who else for actors? I don't know. Bix, who are you going with? I'm not taking Efron. Yeah, Zach, that Zach, Zach Efron, maybe. But if we're talking the kind of movie that we're talking about, it'd be a little, probably yeah, a little too gritty for Zach. Dude. But he did play Ted Bundy. You got to watch that. I want to hear what you think dude, about and, it. And he played a smoking hot lifeguard. He did. <laughs> and he played everyone's favorite basketball star. He did. And True. wasn't he also in the Lovely Bones or the Winter's Bone? I don't know. Oh no, Zach St. Cloud something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, dude. And he was in a million Disney movies. Yeah, you, come on, yeah. man. And Neighbors. Neighbors is great. Pretty funny. He's good in that too. No, who's awesome? Was I love James Franco. One I like of my James favorites. Franco, yeah. His little brother is hilarious. Dave Franco. Have yeah. you ever seen in Twenty One Jump Street? He's like, I'm supposed to go to Berkeley. Yeah. That shit is hilarious, dude. I like. Uh, you know who I like is that kid, Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel. Yeah, I like that kid. Ugh. He's funny. You you like deadpan humor? I do. Yeah, I do. I like. Do you like Ellen DeGeneres' uh, deadpan humor? No, 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 no. Come on, I love Ellen. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Go. Away. I do. I think Ellen is such a good. She's such a good conversation oh, facilitator. God. She's awful. Come on, don't say no. Ellen. If you if you ever see this, I have utmost respect for you. Did you see she? She's out of my league. That's a good movie. I have not. That's Jay Baruchel. It's funny. 
I really like the Judd Apatow movies. Yeah, some of them. Oh, God. Here's his, here's his, his Brockton competitive side coming out. <laughs> All right, so listen, we're going to wrap this up. All right. I had an amazing time. This was fun, man. Thank you. But Appreciate your it. Your job's not over, Captain Tattoo. Listen, oh, okay. <laughs> this is how we start and end the episode. You say, hi, your name. Okay. And this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. And if I were you, this, we're going to loop this at the start and the end, I'd give Four Point Media a little little sales plug. All right. Whenever so, you're ready. So what am I saying? So normally I don't tell people twice, but I guess it's big <laughs> Hollywood's here. I guess we have to. Hi, I'm Dave Wedge. Everyone's favorite journalist slash author slash screenwriter. And this, and is, this my is my golden hour. Okay, cool. Directly gotcha. after the same thing, but that was. Okay. Start in the end. Gotcha. Mr. Media. You got it? Am I looking at the camera? Where do you, yeah, we'll do this one. Hi, I'm author journalist Dave Wedge, and this is my golden hour. Hi, I'm author journalist Dave Wedge, and that was my golden hour. Well executed, Jack. Ready? 